Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to seek you and to seek your word. We pray for your blessing upon us and your giving us understanding, that you would guide our hearts unto you, that we would rejoice in you and enjoy you, and we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me uh, begin by bringing uh, greetings from the Mitaka Evangelical Church in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, thank you all for your prayers over the years. It's a special blessing for me to be here. This is the uh, first time in my life that I've ever been to the state of Alabama, and so I uh, am glad to have a few days together with you all. What I want to speak about this morning is the Trinity, the triune God, and prayer. I want to say two things at the very beginning that may sound incongruous. The first is that all men pray. Uh, all men breathe, drink, eat, but all men also pray. I think everybody who has lived to the age of five or ten years old has prayed at some time or another. I mean that atheists pray, polytheists pray, Muslims and others pray. Prayer is so common that it's fair to say that it, it comes naturally for anyone who's created in the image of God. However, I also want to say that only the biblical teaching of the Trinity makes sense of prayer, and only prayer to the triune God can really be prayer in the fullest sense. Everyone prays, but only because of the truth of the Trinity can we make sense out of prayer. That might sound like it doesn't fit together, but let's think about that for just a little bit. When I say that everyone prays, I mean that, for example, atheists pray sometimes as a lapse into faith, uh, sometimes just because they're afraid, or maybe just for therapy. They think that it's good for you, psychologically, to say things out loud as if you are talking to someone even though they believe nobody is hearing. But atheists even pray, and especially, of course, before their atheism becomes solidified in their minds when they're younger, they pray. Philosophical Buddhism is a form of atheism. Buddhism, in its philosophical form, believes there is no person out there to hear your prayers and yet Buddhists do pray. Popular Buddhism is a form of polytheism, and polytheists, of course, also pray. And Muslims and Jews and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and others pray as well. But prayer means different things to these different kinds of people. Think for a minute of prayers by a polytheist. The kind that I know best are the uh, popular Buddhists and the Shinto believers in Japan. When they pray, they're praying to limited gods who have limited authority and power and limited interest in the people who may be praying to them. So, for example, in Japan, people don't pray on a daily basis uh, the way that we pray. Praise and worship are not part of the everyday life of a person who believes in Shintoism or Buddhism, not usually anyway. But if you want to get into a good school, 
you go to a Shinto shrine or a Buddhist temple, if you want to get a good job, if you want to get married, if you want to be healed, you go to the shrine or to the temple, you put some money into the uh, plate, clap your hands, you say what you want, and then you go on about your business. If you go to a shrine and you pray there and you don't get your answer, you go to a different shrine and you try over there. Or you go to a temple someplace and you try there. The gods of the polytheists are not always interested in you and what you want to say. They won't always answer you, and they're not necessarily able to answer you, because in polytheism the different gods are competing with one another, as well as having their own programs that may not involve you. You see something of what polytheistic prayer is like in the Bible in the story of Ahab and his war with the Syrians. The Syrians come and fight against Israel, and a prophet comes to Ahab and he says, God is going to give you the victory. So they have a battle in the hills. And, of course, God gives the victory to the people of Israel. The Syrians go back, and they have a consultation together, and they say, well, we know what happened. The God of Israel is the God of the hills. If we want to defeat Israel, we have to fight them on the plains. Because the polytheistic idea is that different gods have authority and power in different places. And so the power of the God of Israel is in the hills, so we'll fight them on the plains. The prophet of God comes to Ahab, and he says, this is what the Syrians are saying back in Syria. They're going to come and fight you on the plains, and God will give you the victory on the plains so that you will know and they will know that the Lord is God. And of course, God gives Ahab the victory on the plains as well, so that they will know there is one God who has authority and power in all places. That's a completely different understanding of God that is typical of polytheism. The prayers of Muslims are much more exalted than the prayers of polytheists or philosophical Buddhists. The prayers of Muslims actually are borrowed a great deal from the Bible. And because of the influence of the Bible on Islam, you could, you could consider Islam a Christian heresy of a sort. Because of the influence of the Bible on Islam, they have prayers that include praise, and they have prayers that include worship. The problem with Muslim prayers is the Muslim notion of Allah himself. Allah is a monad, an absolute one. Before the world is created, Allah is alone, eternally, absolutely alone. There is no other that Allah has fellowship with or talks to. Anything that involves plurality, you may have heard that Allah has 99 beautiful names, but Al-Ghazi has to explain that those 99 names do not imply plurality of attributes because Allah is an absolute monad, an absolute one. So for the Muslims, the problem is that for Allah to relate to someone other than himself, to listen to the prayers of a Muslim, would mean that Allah is doing something that he has never done in all eternity something that he cannot really have an interest in doing, because if Allah desired another, if he wanted another, then he would not be happy, blessed, transcendent in himself. He would be dependent upon the creation that he created afterwards. If a Muslim thought consistently 
about the way Allah is described in Islamic theology, they would not pray because they would have to assume that Allah is not interested in them or listening. They are not consistent with their theology of Allah because they've been influenced by Christianity. They have borrowed Christian forms without asking and without saying thank you. And they have included those Christian forms in their prayers. And so they're doing something that doesn't fit with their whole idea of God. But Muslims pray and Buddhists pray and polytheists pray not because it fits with their ideas of God, not because they have a good theology of prayer. They pray because they have been created in the image of the triune God. They do what they do because they have been created in the image of a God, the God, who is a God of everlasting fellowship and love, a God in whom the Father and Son and Spirit give themselves to one another, communicate with one another, have fellowship with one another. And because they are created in the image of God, they do what they do as humans in the image of God, not because it's consistent with their theology or their own ideas of God. Essence precedes existence. We are created in the image of God, and we will act like the image of God Although I'm glad that we sang Psalm 115 this morning because Psalm 115 shows that if you worship idols and if you go against what it means to be truly human, you gradually destroy your own humanity. If you worship the idols, you eventually become like them. You'll have hands that don't work and eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. We can degrade ourselves and ruin our humanity, but we cannot entirely erase it. When I say then, all men pray because they're created in the image of the triune God, I hope you can see that it's, it's because of the Trinity that people pray, whether they understand it or not. If Allah would create the world, I can't imagine why a monad would want to create. I don't know what the motive would be. But if Allah had created the world, why would we communicate and have fellowship if we were like a God who never has fellowship and never communicates? We do these things because we're not created in the image of Allah. We're not created in the image of the polytheistic gods. They are created in the image of sinful men. That's why they're fighting with each other and competing with each other. Most of the things that Paul describes as the lust of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5 describe the gods of polytheism. We've been created in the image of the triune God and therefore we pray. And that means that prayer in Christianity is something that is fundamentally different from what's going on in non-Christian prayer. When we pray, first of all, we are imitating God. A Muslim who prays is not imitating God. The polytheists who pray are not imitating the gods. We are imitating God because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have fellowship from all eternity. The passage that we read this morning for the gospel reading is a passage that shows us the Father in heaven pouring out the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove on the Son who is receiving the love and the blessing of the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in fellowship. Three persons who fellowship in love with one another. 
the father says, this is my son, quoting Psalm 2, the beloved, quoting Genesis chapter 22, in whom I am well pleased, quoting Isaiah chapter 42. When the father, it's amazing to see, but when the father gives his blessing to the son, he quotes the scripture that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is a fellowship of love as the Father pours out the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. The dove, of course, is the sacrificial animal that the poorest of the poor offer. Jesus is being baptized by the Holy Spirit unto the cross to offer himself up to God sacrificially to save us from our sins. In the baptism of Jesus, it's the only place in the Gospels where we see all three persons of the uh, God relating to one another in that way. It's a perfect picture of the fellowship of love that characterizes God from all eternity. God is a God in whom there is mutual communication. The Father, Son, and Spirit bless one another, give themselves to one another. In other words, God the Father's eternal fellowship of love is like praying. And so when we pray to God, we're imitating God. We're doing the kind of things that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have done from all eternity. We praise God. We worship Him. We ask for His blessing upon us, and in that way, we are imitating Him. We see that God is the kind of God who communicates that way from the incarnation of Christ. When God the Son became a man... You understand that there is an eternal person who takes upon himself human flesh and form and nature. But Jesus is not a divine person mixed with a human person. He is a divine person with human flesh, form, and nature so that the things that we see Jesus doing in the Gospels are the kinds of things that God has been doing from all eternity. Jesus reveals the Father to us. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. So when we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus and we see how He relates to the Father. He prays to the Father. He praises the Father. He thanks the Father. That's what God has been doing from all eternity. And when we pray, we are imitating God. But I want to say there's something even more in a way uh, more wonderful than imitating God. And that is that when we pray, we are entering into the fellowship of the Trinity. We are entering into the fellowship of the Trinity in this way. God has given us a formula for prayer. Uh, you don't have to use that formula, and it's not wrong to leave it out at the end of your prayer. But the basic formula is this. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Praying to the Father in the name of the Son means that we come before the Father with the Son's own name so that the Father receives us as the Son's representative. And if you look at the uh, expression of in the name of in the Gospels, you'll see that the Father sends the Son in His name. The Son sends the Spirit in His name. Father, Son, and Spirit do things in one another's name because they represent one another. When we come in Jesus' name, the Father receives us in His Son as His sons. We are entering into the fellowship of the Trinity. 
when we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, our prayers are received by God as if they are the words of the Holy Spirit in a manner of speaking. When uh, the Apostle Paul talks about us having the gift of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, Paul says that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts so that we cry out, Abba, Father. And we know that those are the words that Jesus spoke in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Holy Spirit is working in us so that we pray like Jesus, with the words that Jesus spoke. But you remember that Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was, not my will, but thy will be done. When we pray in Jesus' name, that is what we're praying. Not my will, but thy will be done. We don't have to express it every single time, but that is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Imagine the opposite. Not thy will, but my will be done. That would not be prayer. When we pray in Jesus' name, then, we are committing ourselves to God. We're praying like the Holy Spirit worked in our hearts so that we cry out, Abba, Father, and we pray thy will, not my will be done. And in so doing, we are entering into the fellowship of the Trinity. We enter into the fellowship of the Trinity, considering this from another perspective, when we pray the prayers that God has given us. The largest book in the Bible is a prayer book. We have 150 psalms that are prayers that God has given us to pray unto Him, and those prayers are the words of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray the prayers in the book of Psalms, we're approaching the Father with the words of the Holy Spirit that the Father loves to hear. The Father loves to hear the words of the Holy Spirit because the Father and the Spirit and the Son are one. But the Father loves to hear the Psalms for another reason. The Psalms are the prayers that Jesus prayed when he was here on earth. All of the Psalms from the time that he was a young child. When we pray the Psalms, we don't pray them like David or Daniel or Jeremiah. Because David and Daniel and Jeremiah didn't know about Jesus. When we pray the Psalms, we pray them as the words of Jesus that are inspired by the Spirit. And when God the Father hears us praying the Psalms, He receives those prayers as the words of Jesus and the words of the Spirit in our words. And so we are entering into the fellowship of the Trinity by offering up the prayers that are in the book of Psalms. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, you remember the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And so Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke, taught them in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, what he gave us is a short form, his own words, inspired by the Holy Spirit so that we have them. And again, we're offering up to God the words of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, words that God loves to hear. And let me remind you, when the Father spoke to the Son at his baptism, the Father quoted Holy Scripture because God loves the words of the Bible. He loves the words of his Son and the words of the Spirit. And whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we're supposed to pray it daily, right? Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray the Lord's Prayer daily, we are entering into the fellowship of the Trinity and we are seeking the glory and the blessing of God in the words that he gave us. Um, one of the most important words in the Lord's Prayer is the first word in English, our. 
When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're not praying for ourselves individually. We're praying with the whole body of Christ all over the world. You may not think that you need to pray, give me this day my daily bread. You might even think that you need to pray, Lord, I don't need any bread today. I had too much yesterday. But when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying for Christians all over the world, and some of them don't have their daily bread. When we pray, forgive us our sins, we're not just praying for our sins, not just the sins of the people around us, but for the whole church, that the church would be forgiven that the people of God would be forgiven, that they would be protected from temptation, that they would have the power to live the Christian life. So in praying the Lord's Prayer and in praying the Psalms, we are entering into the fellowship of the Trinity in a special way. In the case of the Lord's Prayer, there's another aspect of the fellowship of the Trinity. And that is that God created the world for a purpose. In the book of Genesis, God gives Adam and Eve a commission. At the end of the book of Revelation, we see that purpose fulfilled. As the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven as a bride, prepared for her husband. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are seeking the purpose that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are seeking. We are working with God, entering into the fellowship of the Trinity to work for the purpose that God has ordained. So that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our prayer is fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be always conscious of all these things because it will be true even if we're not thinking about it and not realizing it. But I do think it's good for us to meditate on what a tremendous blessing it is that God has given to us that we can imitate him in the act of prayer and that we can enter into the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, especially when we use the words that he has given us and we pray the Lord's Prayer that he has taught us to pray. That is my meditation for this morning. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your great love. We thank you that you sent your Son into the world to redeem us from our sins and to make us your covenant people. We thank you that you've given us such a high and holy calling that we are your children, that we are fellow heirs with Christ of the kingdom of God. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would sanctify us by your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us to pray, and that we might daily offer up ourselves unto you. We thank you for your goodness now and commit ourselves unto you in Jesus' name. Amen.